it's always an honor to be able to come together in the name of the Lord and to glorify his name. And I have the uh, particular privilege today of being able to deliver the word of God. So let us uh, turn to our Lord in prayer. Gracious God in heaven, be with us at this moment, Lord, being able to allow our hearts and our minds to be dedicated to you, Lord, that there may be no distractions, that instead, Father, your word be sanctified in us, that we would be blessed by your great presence, Father, that brings about great things in our lives. You are a protector, you are a redeemer, Lord, and you are also our friend. So we must remember that our relationship with you is a special one, Lord. You are many things to us and we glorify you. And we honor your word because that is the way that you have chosen, Father, to communicate with your people. So let your word indeed fulfill its purpose. And if you would fulfill in me, Father, the ability to be able to deliver that good word unto you. For we ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at uh, Philippians, the book of Philippians, and the section that we've been looking at in chapter two has been basically about service. And beginning in, in the beginning of Philippians, we, we began to see that uh, we have the ultimate example of service, which is of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And Brother Gerardo preached last week of Timothy, of whom we are aware of because he's mentioned at different points in scripture and how he was a worthy servant in the service of Jesus Christ and to the apostles. And today we're going to take a look at another great brother in the Lord by the name of Epaphroditus. And so we're going to be turning to Philippians 2, looking at verses 25 through 20, uh, through 30, actually, I'm sorry, through 30. And if we can go ahead and uh, read that, reading as follows. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you have heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus, as we can see here, was someone that was servicing the church at uh, Philippi at Philippi and he was also servicing our uh, our apostle Paul and what happens is that here it's very interesting the way Paul begins this letter because he actually speaks of him as fulfilling in essence different roles and we see that the first uh, and foremost role that he mentions is the fact that he is a fellow brother and why is that important because when we are in the church of Christ, the first thing that we have to remember is that we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That means that we are part of the household of God. And we know that even in our earthly lives, as we have today, our families are the most important thing, right, in relationship to everything else. So likewise in the church, when we conduct ourselves, we are not to conduct ourselves as strangers. We have the fortune here, or the blessing, better said, of being able to be a small church and to be able to know one another. But many times we have congregations that are 
much, much bigger than we are. And you actually have less ability to get to know the brothers and the sisters. And a lot of times there's a bit of a coldness that develops there. And what we want to do is we want to not conduct ourselves in such fashion or look at each other in such a way. We want to be able to love each other as the way we love our families, knowing that in the house of Christ, we are family. Second, we see that he refers to him as a fellow worker. This is actually a very important point because of the fact that when we think of the apostles, who are the apostles in relation to the church? Next to Jesus Christ, they are the foundation. They are the ones of whom the Holy Spirit revealed the truth of Christ. And because of that, we have a very high honor for them. But even though they were of great honor and a high place within the church, notice that Paul actually refers to Epaphroditus, who, who at this point at least uh, historically was not a, an elder. He refers to him as his fellow worker. So we see that when it comes to the work of Christ, we are all actually in equal standing. Even though we have positions in the church and they deserve their honor, we need to remember that not one man is over another in terms of being of greater value to God. So we should be looking at each other, all of us that are serving the Lord, as being fellow workers in the kingdom of God. Another important point that he makes is that he is a fellow soldier. And this is an important distinction that's being made as well, because it's a reminder to us that we're not merely living and coming to church, you know, just for the sake of worshiping Christ, right? That is obviously the, uh, the, the greatest intention, but it is also that we are involved in a war. We know that it is not a physical war, as the Apostle Paul has uh, told us in, in a other, other epistle, speaking of its nature, but that it is a spiritual battle that we are in. And so when we are doing service to Christ and doing service for the church, we are actually engaging in war. In war to whom? To all our enemies. And who are our enemies? The world and Satan and his minions. The wicked spirits that are working in, in this moment, brothers and sisters, they're working not only against Christ, but they work against us. They work against the work that we are doing. So it's very important that what you do, you do it with the intended purpose to glorify God and to establish the very uh, the very thing that upholds us. And historically, the church has referred to the church as, as a mother. And that is a, a good way to look at it. You know, so when we fight for the cause of Christ, we fight not only for for the cause of, uh, of our Savior, but also for the cause of his church. And so we want to honor the Lord by being able to be on offense to the enemy. It's not only a defense. Obviously, we want to defend the church, but we are also on offense, brothers, because Christ is putting all things under what? Under his feet. So that means that we are working with Jesus Christ to do that. So remember that when you are in the service to the Lord, this is one of the things that we are doing. He mentions that he is a messenger and a minister to the church in Philippi. So the reason that this is mentioned is because he, he was part of the church at Philippi, and he was called by the Apostle Paul to minister to them because he was someone who, was, who worked with the Apostle Paul. But at the same time, he was also a minister from the church of Philippi to the Apostle Paul. And in this particular case, we see that Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this. So this is a very important 
very, very important uh, factor to look at, which is that when we do a work in, within the church, it's not only that it, it's not only involves that which happens from within, but it also has to do with what we do outside with those uh, with those that are also involved in the ministry, such as when we are part of a uh, an association or, or, or these things, we're actually joining with other churches in the cause of Christ. And so we want to take that same attitude of not just concerning our local body, but looking at the greater kingdom of God and being of service to it. If we could please look at Hebrews 13, 17. It states here, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What I want to look at here is the fact that when you have Epaphroditus being sent, he wasn't just merely a messenger or like, you know, the way we have the post office, right? Someone who's just sending a letter out, making sure that the letter gets there. But he's someone who actually is, is doing a, a service. And so he's someone who's actually uh, worthy of, of being able to be listened to. So when the Apostle Paul sent him with his word, he was someone that had to be listened to. In the same way, when he was sent by the Church of Philippi to Paul, there was an authority in a sense that he had there. And so we want to keep that in mind when we speak of the nature of service within the church. When we have people serving in the church, we want to be able to obey them and honor them with whatever work that they are doing. And we see that principle here in Hebrews 13, and it speaks of it also to do it in a joyful manner to be able to not groan, but to be able to do it willingly, knowing that it is a good work that's being done. Continuing on, looking now at verses uh, 26 and 27, here we learn about how basically the, the, the messenger, Epaphroditus, were, became ill. And because he was ill, it actually says that he was ill uh, near to death. So he experienced some kind of illness that apparently almost took his life. So there must have been, I'm sure, an emotional impact on not only the brother, but we see that there's also an emotional impact upon uh, Paul, right? Reading that it says, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but me also. As he says, uh, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And this is a, an interesting uh, phrase right here where it says sorrow upon sorrow, because what this, this is actually telling us is that even though the apostle Paul was in jail and we know that when we are even in the midst of some ugly and painful trials we should have joy in the lord there was sorrow still that the apostle was experiencing and this is something that can obviously speak to us here because we we live in a world that's fallen and one of the things that our lord has called us to is suffering and because he has called us to suffering even though we want to rejoice in the lord we will experience sorrow but in the case here he speaks of having sorrow upon sorrow, and that shows the great love that he had for this particular uh, brother, Epaphroditus. And that's one of the things that we hope to be able to encourage within one another, brothers, is to be able to love one another with that, with that amount of care, to be able to not just see each other as people who come and congregate and hear the word and sing some songs and perhaps pray together, but that we could see each other as more than that, that we would be able to actually care for one another to be able to care for one another means that we should get to know each other brothers we should get to know each other we should be able to uh, also uh, know what our burdens are so that we can pray for one another 
because that's one of the wonderful things that we have is that we don't only rely on the service that we do, but that we know that we have a savior, that we have a Lord, a redeemer who hears, hears us in heaven and he will, he will provide for us, you know, and he desires to hear us cry out to him. We know that it's not because God needs our approval, right? Or that he doesn't know the things that we desire, you know, for our lives, because we know that God knows all things. After all, he made us. He knows who we are. But it's because of the fact that these are the means that God uses for us to be able to med meditate upon him and to be able to bring our hearts to him. And so we want to be able to, as we see here with the example, the Apostle Paul and brother Epaphroditus, that there be a, a heart for one another and that we would be able to consider the things that we do with, with, a good, with a good heart and that we pray we not only do it just because we know it to be a good thing, but that we can actually meet it within our hearts and be able to pray for one another. One of the things that also uh, speak to us here is also the value of the messenger because we see that Paul wants to be able to see his brother to be preserved. And that's one of the things that is important to be looking out also, brothers, for those who are in service to the Lord, making sure that they're okay. I, for one, as a deacon, could speak to that because I've had situations where it makes it difficult for me to do some of the work that I've done, but I appreciate those uh, brothers and sisters who have been there, you know, to help out in uh, those situations. So that's one of the things that I advise you brothers to do with one another, to care for one another and be able to look into those, into those issues. One of the ways that we know that love is great is by looking at the example on uh, John 15, 13. If we could turn there to John 15, 13, which states, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That is the example of Jesus. And that explains to us the kind of love that we should have for one another, even a love that sacrifices his own life. And this is a, a wonderful example that we have in Jesus Christ. And even here we have a, a wonderful example to Epaphroditus because he's someone who wanted to have a desire to be able to serve the church and the Apostle Paul. And even his own life was put in peril to that because many times, you know, we use that as an excuse if we have issues, you know, with health or or in situations where we want to opt out of serving the Lord. But I tell you, brothers, what's the greatest thing you can do? The greatest thing you can do is serve the Lord. You know, when, when I got my heart condition, that's actually the first thing that came to mind for me, which is if I'm going to have a short life, well, how do I want to spend that life? What am I going to want to consider? And the thing that I looked at is, well, what am I living for? I live for Christ. Right. Everything else that I have that's wonderful and of value in me comes from my Lord. So what I wanted to do is make sure that I would be able to have an opportunity to do that. And I think we see that that spirit in Epaphroditus. And I commend you to do that, to do that, brothers. First of all, because it'll draw you closer to your Lord and it'll be a, a great blessing, not only to yourself, but to others, because you are doing that. Continuing in uh, verse 28 where it says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. I'm sorry, was that the, yes, verse 28. In this particular issue here, I'd like to work a little more on the issue of anxiety, because obviously we have cares in the world, I myself uh, have suffered, and part of the reason why I probably ended up with a heart condition was of the fact that I had to deal with a lot of anxiety in my life. 
And which of course is a, a strange thing to mention for, for the fact that being a believer, the Lord is commanding us not to be anxious. But yet we know that in this life, it's gonna be different trials that we're gonna be put through. And so anxiety will come, particularly brothers, because we are a sinful people. And because we are a sinful people, that means that we are a weak people. And so we will not only suffer sorrow, but we will suffer other things such as anxiety. And so what we wanna look at here is that the apostle Paul, even though he is an apostle and he has great strength, I'm sure the spirit of God was strongly within him, even then, because like us, he was a flesh and blood. He suffered even with the issues of anxiety. So this should also be an encouragement to you. If you lack in this, in this particular area, brothers, don't feel bad about it in terms of that we are weak. But we know that if we look to our Lord, he can give us the strength to be able to get through this. And that's one of the things that I personally have learned through my different trials. I've had certainly a number of anxieties, but what I've, what I've learned actually is to be less anxious because of the fact that the Lord has been so faithful to the things that I've needed in my life. Perhaps the Lord will not answer your, your prayer in the way that you would like, but he will provide for you. He will provide for what you need. And brothers and sisters, even if he was to take you, what do you have to lose? You get, you get an eternal glory. So it's better not to be too anxious we will be anxious because unfortunately you know we are a weak people as i've said but the lord is great and he is our strength and let us not waver let us not waver but look to him and wherever we lack let us look that our lord would provide for us if we can turn to philippians 4 6 which spe speaks on this particular issue of anxiety We read, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be uh, known to God. So this is basically stating what I just explained to you, which is that we shouldn't be anxious because we know that the Lord will work. The Lord will do his work. And when we say that we have faith, that means that we are trusting in God. And so one of the things that we want to do is that very that very thing is the thing that we want to do is that we want to be trusting in the lord knowing that whatever happens the lord will work out what is good and an important factor here that i like in this particular verse is that it actually speaks of thanksgiving many times you know we go through things and we tend to forget about the different things that we go through in life and it's in many in many different areas but one of the things that we have to always be mindful of is that the lord is working that the Lord is, is doing a great work. If you look at the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, such as in the book of Acts with Stephen, you see that the people of God, God himself reminds the Israelites of the, the redemption the, uh, in the Exodus, right? And the being able to be taken out of bondage from Egypt. And that's actually a theme that is consistently being brought about in the scriptures because God is basically reminding them I'm the God who brought you out of bondage. I'm the God who called you to be my special people. I'm the God who revealed to you my holiness. And in many ways, you know, we have to have that same view. And when we look at, when we go through our own lives, in essence, God, has not God rescued us from many things? And get God us through the trials? And so we ourselves have a testimony as the people of God. 
that the Lord has been faithful and, the, and that he can get us through these things. In the case of Israel, of course, he uh, miraculously got them through it. And the reason why is because that's how he de declared himself to be God, right? Through the, through the parting of the Red Sea, through the plagues, we see the great hand of God. And the great hand of God that is, was able to save the people of Israel from a great danger, brothers and sisters, is the same God that can work in your life. He's the same God that can get you out of that situation. We are definitely not in bondage in the way, uh, at least our generation or, or us living here, we are not in bondage in the way the Israelites were. But yet we are still, in, in essence, fighting our bondage to sin because we are in the flesh. But we are made fr free by who? By Jesus Christ, right? And so that's the example that we want to remember on that. If we can continue now with uh, verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. We can turn to Romans 13, 7. Romans 13, 7. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is an important, a very important text. Because this is something that I feel that today in our society we have actually lost. I think the idea of honoring men that should be honorable has been lost. But part of that, brothers, is because I think you can agree with me that we don't live in an age where people actually conduct themselves with much honor anymore, particularly in the public square. We have, if anything, very bad examples. And so it is very hard for us, right, to respect someone, particularly when they are promoting sin. And we're living in a day, day and age where actually things that God calls abominable are actually being promoted. But nevertheless, we have to remember, brothers, that these, these institutions were actually created by who? They're created by God. Now, one would ask, well, if God created this institution, why would I have to honor someone who's evil? But the thing is that government is actually created for good. And we know that why, because the Bible speaks of, in particular, Romans 13, as our leaders, our public leaders being ministers, ministers of God. And the word actually minister is actually the word deacon. Now, I don't know if uh, you guys, I think most of you already know this, but for those of you who don't, the word deacon basically means servant. That's what it really is. It just means to be a servant. Now, who's a servant in the church? Everyone. Everyone's a servant in the church. So in essence, you know, we have deacons and deaconesses, right? Because our, our fellow sisters also serve. But when we speak of the, the office of deacons, such as I have, we're talking about the particular office. Just as when we speak of, of a pastor, shepherd, right? That's a particular office. But who is a true shepherd? Who does the Bible say is a true shepherd? Jesus Christ. Correct. He's a true, he is a true shepherd. But the office has been given to us to have the shepherds to be able to shepherd our churches. But when it comes to the public government, the government is also supposed, also supposed to be doing what is good in the world. Because what we do in the church and what we do out there are two different things, right? What we have out there is what we would call uh, civil rule. And so these people are supposed to be reflecting that rule. But we see that according to the laws and the ideas of men, these things are starting to be established. So that's why it's important to pray for our leaders that God would give us wise and moral leaders, especially in our day and age today, because we, we are having people that are 
just putting their own their own ideas in. And they do not honor the word of God. And they do not even honor the office as God intended. So we got to pray for the office and we got to pray for the people that are there. But likewise, in the way that these people are being called to be honored, we should do so even more, I think, in the church. And we have to respect the authority of those offices that are in the church because that is actually an authority that comes from Christ. And in the case of the church, we're actually talking about the congregation of God, which is eternal. The institutions of men, we all know that one day are going to be gone. In many ways, the offices end, right? Such as in certain countries, you had kings, kings and queens. And what happened now? No more kings and queens. You know, we have prime ministers, we have presidents, you know, we have different heads of state. It comes to an end. But when it comes to the office, particularly of deacon and, and a pastor, that's an office that has been there from the beginning. That is something that Christ has established, and he has established it for the good of the church. Continuing to uh, verse 30. We read in verse 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, this was an interesting uh, interesting sentence because I didn't understand what he meant by was lacking in your service to me. Because wasn't the point of sending out Epaphroditus to minister to the apostle Paul because the church sent him? But the reason that it states it this way is because of the fact that there was certain areas where they were not able to help. And uh, we also see here that there was a determined. There was a determined in terms of because he went out to service the Apostle Paul and then got sick, he was not able to get back to the church in Philippi. And that's one of the reasons why it mentions that there was great sorrow because of the fact that he was not only beloved by Paul, but but by, you know, the church. And so for them, it was, it was going to be a tragedy that here they are sending, you know, this brother to provide for, for the apostle. And in turn, you know, he ends up dying. So the apostle Paul doesn't receive, you know, the, the aid that they were intending uh, to him. And then vice versa, Paul, you know, would not be able to send him back with whatever commendation and, uh, you know, he desired uh, to give to them. So there was a mutual loss that was going to be occurring. But in this particular case, it is believed that the uh, brother Epaphroditus was actually wealthy. And that he himself might have had means to which to provide to the Apostle Paul. Because when you used to be in prison in those days, it wasn't like today where, you know, today you go to prison and, well, in our case, you know, they, they actually provide you with some pretty decent food. You know, back then, I mean, I don't know if you remember, I remember when I was a kid and I would watch cartoons and, you know, they, they'd show you, uh, what, they just give you bread and water? <laughs> you know, but they didn't even give you that in the time, uh, you know, when you were in, in prison in Rome. You actually had to be, people had to provide for you, actually. So if, if you had a, a loved one who was in prison, you had to be provided for. If you were not provided for, you could die of hunger in the prison. So we see the importance of why the churches had to be involved in helping the apostles out, you know, when they were in prison. Because this had to do with them remaining alive. And not only that, but, I mean, we see that they were able to write letters from prison. So this was one of the ways that they were actually able to keep the apostles from being able to do their apostolic duty. And so this gives us an important example that this is what we need to be doing. We need to be ministering to not only the, uh, meaning the people that are in need within the church, but also to the church itself. When you give brothers to the church, you're helping, you're helping the body of God. 
You're helping to establish what the Lord is is bringing to be his foundation. And that's one of the things that we want to keep in mind, brothers, that your giving is not in vain. As we talk about, you know, the Lord is gives to us, right? He's not only giving to us life, but he, he gives us a work to be able to provide for ourselves so that we can put food on the table, right? Put the clothing on our backs, you know, to be able to have the vehicles to, to, tra to transport around. And so in this same way, you know, the church needs itself, the ability to be able to pay its bills, right? To be able to provide for the needs of, of the church and to also also pay for the building, you know, and, and the structure that we have here. So this is an, an important example of what we need to be involved in, in giving to the church in a way that can allow the church to continue and asking the church. And if, and if one wants to give and it's a sacrificial giving, then ask the Lord, the Lord to provide that the Lord to provide in, in your necessity, as we're seeing here, that the Lord with great grace, you know, allowed uh, Epaphroditus to be uh, healed so that he would be able to get back to them and that they may be able to uh, joyfully receive him. One, uh, one other aspect that I, that I think is uh, important is because of the fact that, uh, that he nearly died doing this uh, service. Again, it shows us the, uh, the fact that this is the kind of sacrificial way that we need to be uh, serving the Lord. And I'd like you to turn to Revelation 12. And if we're going to be reading verses 10 through 11. And it states, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they not, for they love not their lives even unto death. And here we have, again, in the book of Revelation, which we know is the, uh, the book of what, it's, what happens in the end, that it speaks even to the nature of what the church is like to the end. And how, how are we to be, brothers, all the way to the end? We are to service to the Lord even unto death. That's the, the great example that we have. Now, in light of this, I'd like to uh, give three applications that I think that are important in light of the epistle that we've uh, gone through. And the first thing that I want to look at is turning back to uh, verse 25, where we see that a prophet that is spoken to be a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a minister, a messenger. What does this tell us? This tells us that within the church, brothers, we actually wear different hats and at times we are called to wear different hats because in our churches there are great needs right there are different kinds of needs and because there are different kinds of needs we need to be able to have different kind of service now it'd be nice if we could all you know in essence pitch in and equally give right but for different reasons it doesn't work out that way so one of the things that we have to be mindful for, for particularly for those who serve is that sometimes we have to wear different hats. In our church, we are a small church, and there are different needs. And that's actually one of the things that we see, right? We have our pastor who not only ministers the word to us and his guidance, but he even leads us in worship. You know, he, he works along with his wife to lead us in worship. I have myself being a deacon, so I have to be providing works of mercy as what is called, you know, serving the church in the areas where, where the elders are not uh, are not in charge of 
but in doing that, I also have to be a teacher. I also have the job of being a teacher when the Sunday school is is in effect. I'm I'm a teacher there. We also have our Friday uh, study that we do, and I have to be a teacher there. So I'm also, of course, part of the helping the treasury. And so we got to be able to lend our hand in wherever God has given us a gift, because in doing so, this is the way that we minister to the Lord and we minister to our brothers and sisters. I'd like to look at Luke 10, 2, which states, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into harvest. So this is one of the things, for instance, that the scriptures is, itself tells us, which is that there are not many laborers, you know, out in the field that are that are necessary. So with that in mind, I ask you who are in the church, if you are not serving and you can serve to consider it, to give a hand, join us in the work of the service to Christ, because there is always a need. And our hope is that our church will obviously grow as we know that the Lord uh, brings people to the church. But as we are growing, that means we need more workers. So that's one of the things that we definitely wanted to keep into consideration when we're involved in building up our church. Second application would be a service to the Lord must be a joyful duty. Psalm 100, 1 and 2, if we can look at that. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So it has to be, we obviously got to be happy. We got to be content in the work that we are doing. First and foremost, because we are serving God. And God is a consolation. He's a love. And he's a satisfaction to our souls. And in that same way, we want to be able to serve. We want to be able to serve in the church. You want to be able to do the things that you do. Not groaning, not murmuring, but being able to do it with a, with a full heart. We have to be content. We have to be content in the things that God has given us. Many times we want to do many things in the world, or we have dreams, or uh, certain things. Uh, some people have lists of things that they like to do. But, you know, these are, these are actually, there's nothing sinful with that, and there's nothing wrong with that, because obviously God has made this world and has given us the ability to do many things. But we can't lose priority of the number one thing, which is that we have to be looking to God in thankfulness and being glad with the things that he has given. So it's good to aspire for things. But brothers, at the end of the day, we have to be happy with what the Lord is giving us. We have to be content. If we may turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, looking at, looking at verses 11 through 13. In looking at the issue of living contently, this is a, a great verse stating to us uh, how we should live. It says, and to aspire, live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, and be dependent on no one. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. So, we want to live lives that are, in essence, modest. When it speaks of us living quiet lives, and minding our own business, that basically means to live modestly. Brothers. We know that there's a lot of people that are busybodies, 
people who like to be, uh, you know, taking a peek at the uh, over the wall of other people's <laughs> other people's houses, you know, what's going on with them or what's going on in their in their business. And the Lord asks that we not be that way. You know, we need to be mindful of ourselves. If anything, we should be encouraging, right? We should be encouraging others to do what is good. So if we see that others are doing evil, then we should actually be encouraging them to do what is good. And in essence, do what the Lord has asked to us, which is to be mindful of our own affairs and to live quiet lives. When it says to work with your hands, that's an important uh, aspect right here because this really speaks to our culture today, which is that we have a governmental system that provides for the needs of the people. But I'm sure, brothers and sisters, that you know someone who's, you know, working, living off the system, right? There's some people that I know have lived for many years, you know, of whatever the government provides, not because they necessarily needed it, but because they grew to become dependent on it. And many times it becomes a bit of a trap because if you become dependent on something, then how easy is it to get out of it? It's very, very difficult. And so many people have made this a practice to become dependent on, on the government or whatever. Uh, well, and sometimes it's even parents. Sometimes parents are actually negligent in allowing their children you know, to, to become dependent on them instead of letting them be their own man and woman. And we see here that when it speaks of working with your hands, it's actually encouraging to go out there and work. Go out there and be a fruitful citizen of society. When the Lord gives a parable of the talents, you know, one of the things that I used to find when I was young kind of puzzling is that, you know, the, the evil servant, you know, he didn't, he didn't lose it, right? He gave him the talent and he didn't lose it. He actually held it. And so he tells, so he tells the Lord, Lord, I didn't want to lose it. So I held it. And I would think to myself, oh, isn't that a good thing, right? So if someone gives you a hundred bucks and, you know, you didn't lose it, but the Lord actually rebukes him and calls him an evil worker. Why? Because God didn't create us to be do-nothings. He created us to be fruitful. And that's the point of the parable that we have to be a fruitful people. So when we're living in, in this life here, we got to be people who work, who earn an honest living. That's why when it goes on, it says, notice that it says to walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So the Bible itself is very strongly encouraging this. This is one of the ways that we act honorably amongst the world that we live in. And obviously, lastly, the, the wonderful thing is that in the way that we live our lives, we, one of the reasons we do not grumble is because we are not people who do not have any hope. When there's evil in the world, a lot of times, brother, it's an issue of being patient. It's an issue of being patient with what the Lord is going to do. When we have in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, the, what we like to call the hall of faith of all the saints and the faith that they kept, the whole point of that faith is that what were they doing? They were waiting on the Lord. And they all died having not received the promise of an eternal life, of the eternal city that they were waiting for. But yet they are where? They are in the, in the hands of Christ. And even we now, in many ways, are in the same boat, right? Because we are, while we've received the, the blessed Messiah, and we've, we're living in the days after the blessed sacrifice that has taken away all sin, what are we still hoping for? We're hoping for the resurrection. We're hoping of the undoing of this flesh, of being able to live eternally with our God. And so that's the way we have to live with that reality, knowing that everything that we're doing, we're doing it unto God and to that blessed hope that we are looking to. For the final uh, application, I'd, I'd like to uh, look at John 15, 12 to 13. 
And this is a, again, a dedication to the Lord unto death, as we saw in uh, different passages that we looked at previously. And we'll relook at uh, John 15, this time looking also at verse 13. Reading, this is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. Looking forward to Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 36. Reading it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And I think this is the most uh, sober, sober thought that we have to take in consideration is that in everything that we're doing in this life, we have to do it sacrificially. We have to take up our cross. And we have to do it unto the Lord, knowing that if evil comes, and it, it may even mean our personal death, we know that that is actually a sacrifice that we do unto who? Unto Christ, who himself did what? Give, gave his own life for us. And this is the important thing that we have to be soberly re remembering. Not all of us, and I think most of us actually, don't have to give our lives for the sake of the gospel, particularly in our country. And in the and the day and age we're living in, because there was there was a time when uh, when uh, people lived in even in Christian quote unquote Christian countries where they were being persecuted. As a matter of fact, us who are Baptists used to be actually killed by those that believed in paedo baptism at one point. You know, so it's a wonderful blessing to be able to have the privilege to freely be able to speak and to be able to hold these views. But we're grateful to the Lord in all things because. Even though he calls us for something that's great, we know that the work that he has done is far greater than any work we can do. And the forgiveness that he has given to us is a wonderful gift because he's the creator of all things. And if he wanted to, he could have simply wiped everything out. But instead, what does he do? He chooses to call from among those that he is going to destroy, to be a people to himself, who, can who will come to him, who can trust in him, and receive actually the greatest thing, which is to live eternally with their God. I thank you, brothers, for uh, being able to share this word with me. And I just want to encourage you to, as you go out, to think about how the Lord has blessed you and how you can uh, basically put to practice the great things that the Lord has taught us through his word. And how you can uh, be a, a wonderful minister and a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in particular that, that are in need of it. We know that it is a hard thing many times to speak to friends and to family members who don't want to believe because we know that if you're in the flesh, you cannot, you cannot desire it. You cannot desire and you cannot see it. But we know that we have a great Savior who can turn hearts. And as we uh, read earlier in a... Uh, in forgive me brothers i don't remember the text but where, where it speaks about you know looking to the lord in supplication and in prayer that's what we need to do we need to be looking into our lord and putting it into his hands knowing that whatever work is going to be done he will accomplish it let us let us go ahead and pray blessed father we're grateful for your goodness for your sacrifice 
but also for your great blessings, Lord. We just ask you that right now, Father, you would allow us to continue in this mindset, Lord, of being able to look to you in service, knowing that we are not here to serve ourselves, but that we are actually servants of a great master, the greatest master of all, the master of all things. And that his king, Jesus Christ, is on the throne and that he is reigning at this moment, putting all things under his feet. Let us indeed glorify your name and put all things under his feet through dedication and service to you. So let our hearts be rendered to you. Let our mind be set on you and let our souls also be set on you, Lord. So go with us and strengthen us, Lord. Amen.